name is Andrew Walmsley and you're listening to episode 167 of Photography Insights and this is the show that interviews people from the photography world. I'm pleased to introduce you all to a photographer from San Francisco called Nicole Morrison. Nicole specialises in food and drink as well as lifestyle photography. When I came across her work I was drawn in by the colours and that overall happy vibe. I don't think it's a simple thing to create and has taken a lot of practice. So we talk about how she's adopted to freelancing into the world after leaving university. Nicole is a happy and smiling type of person and loves writing as well. I came across her work through Lens Scratch and she'd done some interesting work with GIFs. She also had a project about makers, which was really interesting and drew me in. So it's nice to see people are using their hands in this age of technology, and this considering her local area is Silicon Valley. So in this one, we have discussed editing photos versus writing, bright colours, GIF formats, the importance of test shoots, Culture Shocks, Mentors, Etsy, and Surviving Freelance. And of course there are links to Nicole's Instagram, her website, and her collective she's part of. And of course we always like to thank the friends of the show before I move you on. So that is Steve at Cromer, and Dave at FilmDev, and Pete at Static age so i hope you do check those out so without further ado let's play the music and away our guest nicole Welcome to the show, Nicole. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us on this lovely wintry evening here. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Please send some of that sunshine. <laughs> I will try. It's it's not here today, but it's definitely not for real cold, so I can't complain. Yeah, well, you know, um, San, F- San Francisco is a very different place. Into, um, you've got very up and down weather. Um, I remember walking out because uh, I did my research before I went, and it was saying um, wear layers, whatever you do. Oh, that's the only advice: wear yeah. layers. Yeah. I um, still have a hard time going somewhere and not having multiple options because I'm like, what if, what if the fog rolls in? I just yeah. can't wrap my head around not having a at least a sweater with me, even on a warm day. It's like a weird thing. It is. It's so strange. And I remember it happening to us as well. So it was really cool that um, you saw the edge of the bay, um, the mist. And then I think literally within like two hours, it was all across Alcatraz and everywhere. And you're like, my God, it's <laughs> it's so weird. Because I, I studied it's, a little yeah. bit of um, San Francisco for my degree for a, a technical thing, you see. So... Yeah, we have a name for the fog. The fog is named Carl. Um, <laughs> Carl does whatever it wants. 
And um, I have a theory that all of the shops along the touristy era um, by Fisherman's Wharf all mm -hmm. stay in business just selling fleeces to tourists who come in the summer <laughs> and think it's going to be warm. And it's notoriously cold. And it's not just cold, it's also wet. Like the fog is at your eye level. So you're like, yeah. it's it's just... Um, yeah, it's it's not pleasant. If you come to San Francisco, come in October. That's the most beautiful time to be in San Francisco. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, rem I remember there's there's always things that stand out when you go on on trips, and I think one of the things was bike the bridge. Everywhere you walk, bike the bridge, bike the bridge. It's like, no, no, you're all right, thank you. And um, <laughs> one of the other things was the street entertainment sort of thing. Oh yes, that was that was so funny because we'd seen some of these people. It's a bit like the um, guy who dances and sings in um, New York and Times Square, the singing cowboy. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. that. <laughs> so, so I remember in San Francisco it was a guy behind some branches and then he would just oh, scare yeah. everyone yeah <laughs> I remember that yeah it was it was so fun and then there was um was it like did he have a dog with a cat sat on with top a, of the dog? a dog with a cat with a rat on top that's right yep <laughs> And you're like, this is quite classic San Francisco stuff. Yeah, it's like you, you know you're somewhere different when you see something that's you know in this country. I mean, you would take so much stick for that. <laughs> People loved it, and actually, that happened in kind of like a posh neighborhood, which is so weird. The cat, yeah. the the dog with the cat and the rat was yeah. in kind of like a nicer neighborhood that's like lots of restaurants, so everyone's there to eat, and then there's just this like dog with a cat with a rat walking up and down the street and people oh my god that's so cool um and actually at one point when i was in college um working on photojournalism i was in that area where the guy with the branches yeah where where he used to kind of scare people and so i took photos of that and i forgot about that until right now as we were talking about it if wow. I dug through my archive of photos, I could probably find some of my uh, very early work. <laughs> Crikey, that'd be, that'd be crazy, <laughs> wouldn't it? I mean, I know why I yeah. won't be on them, because it was um, 11 years ago. So yeah. I, I think you would have been at school. <laughs> <laughs> Around then, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I will not I will not give any ages away, but <laughs> I know you're a young person, shall we say? Uh, but it, it's really interesting. This is what I was saying to uh, Nicole offline was um it it's really good we embrace people from different generations as well, because it's nice to see the work you're thinking about. Um for me it's a really important thing because like you going to university now um ch shapes you and changes you from the people at university or you know where you live all these sorts of things mm -hmm. how, how do you think it it worked for you then being at university doing photojournalism 
Yeah, it was really my introduction to photography. My high school had a photography class that I was never able to get into. It was always super full. Wow. Um, and so, but I was always interested in photography. My mom took a lot of photos when I was younger. She had a Pentax that she took everywhere. And so she was always taking photos. Uh -huh. um, of course, that was film. Yeah. And, um, and then when I was in college, I've always really liked writing. And so I had actually went into college as a fashion major and I just didn't feel right in the classes and I liked mm -hmm. writing, um, but I, I didn't always love literature classes. So I went into the journalism department to be a magazine writer. And I actually took my first photo class as kind of an elective to the writing courses that I was taking. And mm -hmm. then as soon as I started taking photos, I was like, oh, this is show, don't tell. I love this. This is great. And it really kind of, um, I realized how much I could communicate with photos. And I realized how much creativity there was. I grew up in a house where we always had paint and crayons and colored pencils. And my mom would buy like canvases and little ornaments and all kinds of like placards and stuff. So at mm -hmm. any time we could paint or draw or do whatever we wanted in the house. Um, but I was never very skilled at drawing or painting. Nothing ever looked the way I wanted to. Nothing ever <laughs> looked like what I saw. And so when I learned to take photos, I was like, oh, I can take pictures of what I see and communicate this way. And it just kind of all came together for me. That's really nice. Because I think it's a, it's always quite a problem finding what you are good at uh, in that sense I always know I had no creative streak and some people are confused by this because like, I didn't start photography till I was 40. Oh wow. Um, well over 40 actually um, and you know I, I could not draw to save my life but then you know we, we mix with people that um, can um, doodle and things like that but can also turn that doodle into something very nice. Right. Uh, and I think that's a, a really nice thing that they can um, draw that visually and represent it in a photography way. But I think it's especially hard for us who can't do that because it's like, I know what I want, but yeah. I can't sometimes struggle describing it. Um, so writing for me is for me is exactly the same. It's the easiest thing I can do. Um and I think you have a little bit more time while writing to consider Only, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, the thing about writing is I'll just keep go. I'll keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. Yeah. I don't do the same thing with photos. I'm actually a lot more decisive with <laughs> photos. I might go back and re-edit something like yesterday. Someone yeah. asked me, you know, for an article to send a photo that's a little bit older. And I looked at it and I thought, I'm going to revisit this real quick <laughs> before I send this off. Yeah. But for that's just because my skill level has changed. But when I, when I'm editing, I'm a lot more decisive than I am when I'm editing my writing. Hmm. I can understand that. Yeah. I don't think that's entirely unusual in that sense. Um, there must be something different about the written word compared to, um, the visual word in essence i suppose of uh, a photograph um and i still think there's, there's a lot to be said that yes you can try and get something right in camera 
but like work like we do the writing supplements it, it explains it, it it's needed in some areas isn't it oh definitely yeah i mean i think when i'm editing a photo i want things to look mostly realistic so I'm a lot more tied to decisions that I made originally when I took the photo versus mm -hmm. words. You can change really anything that you want. I mean, you might end up changing the meaning too, but there, I think you get to a point of exhausting a photo mm -hmm. sooner than you get to a point of exhausting words, or at least that's how it is for me. Yeah. I think there is something to be said though that you can over edit and over criticize yourself so you do have to be very careful because like we're writing you could literally learn a new word tomorrow and um a new way of describing something and you could re-edit your work and then you can think well them words don't work well together or the sentence is too long it needs breaking up and you know, i've done that and that's the worst thing you can do, I think, sometimes. Yeah. It's I agree. Like, get, get, get it so it sounds great and then just leave it because um, little touches here and there are often not the thing you need. Yeah, I have to leave it a lot with writing. And I think, I mean, I don't write as much as I used to, but at some point I just have to move on and do something else. So hmm. even if I want to tinker with it, it's like, okay, just there's other stuff to do. We've got to move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's a, it's a lovely thing to do. Um, and I know some people um, can't write. So they feel um, tied down in, in some ways uh, and they feel, you know, it's really cool that people like us can write. Well, then I think, you know, it's really cool that they take such great photography without needing to write sometimes as well. So it's, you just got to um, find what you got to hand you and um, just work at it, I think. Totally agree. Yeah. Because I don't think like if I sat there and let's say I had an art tutor, a private tutor come to my house every night, I don't think I could improve my art enough um that i'll be happy with it i just don't think it's it's a possibility i don't think it's a natural thing i can do um i'd love to be proved wrong <laughs> <laughs> because it'd be a great skill because uh, i think uh, being able to doodle ideas sometimes is is sometimes better than words but sometimes it isn't so um I mean, what I find interesting is um, some of the different styles of work you do. Um, what, I think the one thing that really stood out was it's bright and colourful. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like so many people work, I can look at it, it could be um, things about what's going on with the planet uh, and they're not always nice things and um, some of my work is uh, dark and some then there's black and white stuff and then I like look at your work and I think god this makes me feel happy as well that's I awesome think... I mean that's kind of my goal is to make people's eyes happy and I'm just really guided by what makes my eyes happy 
Um, mm. And at the same time, I don't want it to um, come off as overly optimistic or, you know, um, coyingly positive. Hmm. Um, I just think that a lot of, I guess where I'm coming from is I want to get people to stop and look at my photos. And so by making photos that are really bright and graphic and, um, sunny, I can get people to linger and maybe they can learn something or just be more open to whatever it is that I'm trying to communicate. Hmm. Um, so that's just my style, but there are, you know, there are other ways of doing it too. Um, like I appreciate people's darker photos or, you know, photos that feel more like sleek or something like I appreciate other people's styles. Um, but my style is, is like, this is the kind of like fun, wacky world that I want to create and, and kind of live within. So hopefully that comes through. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think it's definitely style straight away. And and that's something that's really nice to see in um, a younger person that straight away, you, you can look at your work and think, you know, this has to be your work sort of thing. And, like the color choices and things like that it seems um it's really interesting i mean i love the idea of like the gifs yeah um, they're this, so much fun. fabulous um because i think it's a nice play on photography because it's not something um we do a lot yeah i think what's interesting about gifs is that it's something that you can't see and i think that that's always really uh eye-catching hmm. is it's moving, but it's still freezing moments. So mm. it's not something you would actually ever see with your eyes. So it's not like motion mm. and it's not quite stills. It's something in between. And it kind of, I was thinking about it the other day and I was thinking it has a similar appeal to like slow motion or time lapses where it's just not how you actually perceive the world as a human. And I think that's what makes it interesting to the viewer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the way you do it though is is really good because obviously you're using uh, negative space um, in the right places and you're choosing um, like blank backgrounds or um, colors that go against it or sometimes that um, that complement it. And, it's little touches like that because obviously you could do a strawberry with a white background but you are doing it with uh well that that example is a it's a red background or a pale pink or whatever um and to me that really adds to to it 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 would look completely different if it was a white background yeah totally different and there's also something i do which if you've never made a GIF, you might not notice that I'm doing it, but I go through a good amount of Photoshop trouble to make sure that whatever's not moving is really not moving so that it doesn't attract any attention from what is intentionally moving. So like if there's um, liquid, but it's not supposed to be moving, masking that out so that it's actually not moving during the GIF um, is something that really helps. And the other side of it is a GIF only contains, I think, 256 colors. Yeah. So 
anytime you have a gradient, which I mean, you'll have even just your shadows alone will contain mm -hmm. gradients. Uh, the GIF format can't capture all of the photos that our cameras can. And so it helps kind of cut out that noise as well to make sure that only the thing that's moving is moving. So there's nothing else that's like kind of flickering or anything like that to the best of my ability. Hmm. Um, that said, you can still see it on the web version, which is like an actual GIF file in the MP4 version, which is what plays on Instagram. It does look completely clean. So there are certain limitations to the file itself as far as the quality that you can get because it's like invented in the 90s. Hmm. Um, but I still think it, I, I don't know, I just really like them. Yeah, well, that, that's the interesting thing. So, you, you know, you're presenting photography in a different way and, and, and that's great. I mean, one of my guests, so talking like the 90s, he used a Game Boy for photography. Oh, and it's like, it's such a different idea. Yes, we know they're not going to be 20 megapixel amazing photographs, but, right. you know, he's an alternative photographer. So why would he not try it? I mean, for me, this is what photography is about. Um, we're all doing different things. Yeah, but totally. But we're doing um, messages and we're talking about real things. I mean... You know, there's, there's there's some great stuff. I mean, it's so funny that you chose, like, everyday things in the kitchen or meals, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, wh where did you get the idea of doing things like um, toast and bread and things like this? Oh, um, for, like the French toast one yeah. is that you're thinking of? Yeah. yeah. So that was a concept that someone came to me with. She is a, she does art direction. She does some styling and she came to me with a couple ideas for test shoots. And one of them was um, this breakfast idea. And it was, it's called mod meals. That's what we ended up calling the shoot. I think we did five different shots and um, we were thinking about how we could use like breakfast staples, color obviously, and mm -hmm. give a modern spin on this kind of mod look. Uh, so that's where that idea came from. And it, I mean, as far as French toast, it was like pancakes or French toast and it's a test shoot and this food stylist has lots of pancakes in her portfolio. So, okay, we'll go with French toast. Mm. It's not the most interesting way to come to a decision, but we all really like that shot. Mm. Um, and it, this isn't even the way I was originally supposed to shoot it. But one thing I've been thinking about lately is how to move the camera while I'm making a GIF. Um, for the past like two-ish years that I've been making GIFs, I've always kept the camera stationary, um, but something that I've been thinking about a lot more as I'm becoming more and more interested in motion is how do I move the camera? Mm -hmm. um, and so this was one of my first, this shot that you're talking about with the French toast, mm -hmm. where it pulls out from the butter, you see that it's French toast, and then you see someone pouring syrup on top. Mm -hmm. That 
I came up with that on the spot because I wanted to move the camera and I realized the limitation of my stills equipment hmm. was making it so that the basically the idea that I had is based on video gear and what I have is stills gear. And so I was like, <laughs> let me try to shoot it anyways. Hmm. Um, so that's how that gift was actually made. I um, would do it differently and I'm going to kind of take that same idea and apply it um, basically using video gear to shoot stills. Hmm. Um, so like sliding the camera sideways or back and forth, um, hmm. forward and backwards in order to put a new spin on shooting a stills gif. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And all of that to say, like some people also shoot stills as video and then they pull frames out. Um, right. That's something I'm also interested in and I just have to learn how to do it basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice though because it's it's that thing about trying something new and keeping you interested and learning from it isn't it yeah i mean i'm always maybe to a fault but basically every time i do something i'm like huh i could have done that differently or oh you know i wish i would have made that better by doing xyz like all the time that's happening so test shoots are an opportunity for me if i happen to think of something while i'm doing it that i have the opportunity to try it and potentially fail because there's no client there um which is what the case was for this french toast shot that i just i wanted to make it a little bit more interesting but i wasn't sure if it was going to work hmm. um and it took me three tries to get what i ended up with because that's i was trying great. to figure out how to move the camera yeah. Um, but I mean, that's the point of test shoots is to be able to say, yeah. oh, I wasn't going to shoot this this way, but we're all here. Do you guys mind if I try this thing? And they're like, yeah, go for it. Like, what are we here? This is what we're here for. Um, so, you know, that's what I did. But, you know, a lot of times with client work, it's leaving the shoot and as you're decompressing, you're like, oh, I could have done this like this. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe I'll test that. Or maybe it's maybe it's something I don't even have to test. I can like it's something I already know how to do. I just didn't think of it in the moment because you're managing everything on set, getting the work done, talking to the client, making sure everything's working, hmm. you know, and any stuff that happens to come up like, you know, your camera malfunctions or I had for um, the first time, my last shoot of the year last year, one of the crew tested positive for COVID, so they couldn't come in. So uh, that really threw off our day because we had to figure out, okay, how do we replace this person? How do we, you know, get everything done without them and keep it calm and cool because the client's here and, uh -huh. you know, all of that. So um, it's really nice to to be able to take advantage of trying new things um while you're testing it's it's great yeah i mean test test of is i think where you do all the learning because you know to get the end product you want it could take 10 shots it could take 100 and there are times when it doesn't work at all isn't it there are and for me they're just as important because then you know that's it's either not possible or there's a technical reason maybe it's your skill maybe it's equipment or um uh sometimes it's understanding as well 
Um, there are so many things, I, I, and it's sometimes puzzled me where I've um, tried to take photos of uh, our little puppy, and I can't get decent photos. So I took, I don't know, say 30 digital shots, and I just deleted the lot. I just thought they're all so rubbish. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not proud that I took any of them. So um, it's like I just put the camera equipment away and gave up and thought, no, nah, I'll do it another day. It's fine. Um, it's not easy. And also, like, whatever you do the most of, you get really good at it. And then if you try to do something else, it can just really throw you for a loop, you know? Like, if you... Yeah. I did a lot of tabletop last year and then towards the end of the year I got a couple jobs where I was photographing humans so like mm-hmm. I was having a hard time wrapping my head around even like okay if I have this many people on set and we have this many talent um and the shots look like this like how big is the set and how big of a room do we need for this many people because mm-hmm. you know the more the more people the more space but it's just not quite how my brain works so I did, you know, there are certain weird things where you're like, how many people, how much room do you need for 30 people, you know, to wow. be on set versus, you know, doing a test shoot with, you know, three or four people for tabletop because you don't have talent, which means you don't have wardrobe, which means you don't have hair and makeup. So it, you know, it, yeah. and then also uh, puppies move so fast. I mean, puppies hmm. and children move so, so fast. If you shoot anything else, it's hard to shoot babies and puppies, I think, because they're so unpredictable. Yeah, yeah. Um, my gearing is actually very good as well. So my, my lens is on its way out, really. I'm focusing. It's, it seems to be random whether it'll uh, work manually or uh, whether it'll work um, uh, um, uh, normally. And it's like, this really isn't helping me. It's really not helping my confidence. So no, well, it's not no, helping not cool. anything. It's not no. focusing. <laughs> and it's really annoying because, like, I do use digital to test things like that. Right. But it, that's the point where I just like, right, I'm so fed up with digital. I'll go put it away, and I'll get my film camera out, and I know I can take a picture with it. Um, but I know. I can't because the, it's too dark. Right. Sort of thing. So then um, it'll move into the world of using flash and I'll just um, have to guess and I'll use uh, a lot of frames I don't want to use. So, yeah, I don't meet EC, so I, I tend to guess stuff. Um, and it's got to the point where I'm actually going to have to start guessing with um, lighting as well now. So I'm going to try that next. I mean, that could be fun, too. It is, also, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier, where when you're shooting with film, you have to move on. The photo is taken, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can't spend as much time fussing with your, you know, all the the different settings that you have. You know, you mm-hmm. choose some settings, you probably do a bracket, and you hope for the best, and then you just, you know, move on. Yeah, so there's exactly, something yeah. about that that's I don't know freeing maybe. <laughs> <laughs> of school, I really liked what I learned with photojournalism, but I never really understood how to work in photojournalism. Yeah. I didn't, you know, I knew that you know basically every newspaper had laid off all of its staff photographers, and that's really what I was trained for as far as like looking at what I did in school. 
yeah. was to be a staff photographer at a newspaper or a magazine. Those didn't exist anymore. And mm. no one talked to us about how to actually work as a freelancer and get work. And so I graduated mm. with the skills for the job and no idea how to actually make a living. Um, and so I did have a day job that was really supportive of me basically moonlighting, figuring out what I wanted to do. And so I tried all kinds of different photography. Um, of course, people immediately ask you to shoot weddings. I did shoot weddings. I would photograph families. I did all kinds of small jobs, um, like parties and events and stuff like that. But I think what really shaped how my work looks now is that I was not in control of anything. And my skill set was to go into a situation and make great photos no matter what the situation is. Mm -hmm. And because I work well under pressure, I'm really good at that. And I'm mm -hmm. good at being around people. And, you know, so I'm good at those kinds of situations. But I just felt over time that my portfolio was not representative of what I was interested in or how I wanted things to look because I was always in some situation that I was not in control of trying to just make the best of it. And so all of the color and all of the like hard shadows and the graphic nature of my work is all like a direct 180 to everything that I felt um, I wasn't able to do and the control that I didn't have over how my work looked. Hmm. That's interesting. Really interesting. Because, you know, it must have been fairly tough coming out of um, college or university sort of thing and then realising getting a job is never going to be that easy. Because obviously all the things you learn in there, you know, you're so excited. You've got this skill set and you've been able to create decent work and you get good grades. But... It's a different world, isn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was also a recession. So all the people who had experience in mm -hmm. doing the jobs that I was trained for were all being laid off. So mm. there were all these people who were really good at the job already who didn't have jobs. So it's mm. like, you know, the only reason why someone coming out of school would get that job instead of them is because you could pay them so little. Um, but even then it was everything i mean it felt like everything at that point was freelance i know that there's since now there's social media which there there's only facebook when i was in college um and so i think a lot more companies actually have staff photographers now because there's so much need for content yeah. that a lot of companies that never would have had a photographer before because they never would have needed one Hmm. now have a photographer in order to fulfill content that they have. So, you know, those are good jobs for people coming out of school who want to get some experience and, you know, maybe use that as, you know, to get into other stuff that they're more interested in or, you know, just have get the experience of work. Hmm. Um, but there, there weren't those opportuni opportunities. There weren't as many non-tech startups that needed content and um so things were a lot different it was like the it was the height of the recession um we were you know you're so eager when you're in school to be done with school and then you get out of school and you're like what 
I um, have to work for a living now and how. Um, <laughs> and there's no, I mean, there's no like roadmap for photography. There's no like, you know, um, hmm. there's no, if you do A, B, and C, you'll be a successful photographer. It really, yeah. it's, you can do the same thing. Someone can tell you how they became a successful photographer. You can do all of those things and it's going to go different for you. Exactly. Yeah. It's so individual hmm. um, at every step, even like figuring out how much to charge for what you do is like, oh, it depends on, you know, how much money you need to make. And it depends on your experience and it depends on this. And it's like, there is nothing standard about this job. <laughs> <laughs> There's like not one thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I must. I, I feel for you coming into the world like that because um, freelance has always been that scary side, or being self-employed, to be honest. Yeah, I think there's lessons in life for everyone in that sense. Um, yeah, definitely. I think I don't think getting thrown into the deep end at all is like unique to photography. I think. <laughs> I mean, I hear so many stories like what you're saying when, mm -hmm. I mean, I listen to a lot of podcasts where people talk about their careers because I just find that interesting. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of like, I was in this situation where I didn't know what I was doing and <laughs> I had no one to ask and I had to figure it out. And here's how I did it. I always find that really interesting to, you know, I mean, when you're feeling imposter syndrome, you don't think anyone else is feeling it. But if you take you know, five minutes to think about it. It's obvious that so many people feel that way at any given time. Yeah, and you're yeah. probably interacting with at least one person who's feeling that way. So uh, something that I have to really remind myself of because I, I mean, in this job, you just, it's a series of new opportunities. And so you, you might be doing something that's similar to some projects that you've done, but it's, it's different in, a certain number of ways and so you're going into it and you're like oh i've never done that before am i going to be good at it you know are they going to be able to tell that i haven't done something quite like this before and you know you can spend a lot of time driving yourself crazy in that way um so i'm constantly having to remind myself like we're all figuring it out yeah and i, th I think all you can do is surround yourself with people that um can help you um, in a mental state or I, I know there's a big thing about getting mentors and stuff but over here we never ever used that word there was no such thing everyone just figured stuff out um oh, and mentors yeah 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 over yeah. here you just had mums and dads and aunties and uncles but you know there was no such thing as um, people giving you advice in business and your jobs um, but now like coming into photography the way I've I've heard the phrase so much and um I do understand it so I know people that um let's say I got a problem in the dark room I would ask them because to me it's a skill set thing it's not a mentor thing it's nothing to do with that it's you're good at this job you know if if um I have a problem with my windows or you know a mechanical thing you go to the people who do that job don't you right so I think you just have to know them sort of people and surround yourself with them. Yeah, I think, I mean, I do have someone early in my career who I 
thought of as a mentor and I still think of him as a mentor because he was really intentional about saying, um, you know, I, he recognized my ability to understand lighting and, um, we were, we were doing kind of like, um, an informal workshop where we were working with flashes and, Uh um, he recognized that I was really, you know, focused in and receptive and had a certain amount of knowledge already. And so he, you know, was like, Hey, would you like to assist me sometime? So I started assisting him. I assisted him one or two times. And he was like, I really like having you as an assistant. Can I, can you be like my go-to assistant? I'll hire you as much as you want to be hired. And you can ask me any questions you want about business anytime you want. And, um, you know, I would shoot events with him and during our meal break, he would be like, okay, what questions do you have about what's happened so far? And what questions do you have about the second half of our day? And, Mm -hmm. you know, how many photos have you taken so far? You know, he would, when we would be setting up the lights in the room, he would come over and be like, Hey, these are the camera settings I'm using. Where are you at? And I'd be like, oh, I'm here. And you'd be like, okay, well, you might want to, you know, open up a little bit more or, you know, stuff like that. And then it would be, if I was working on my own and I had a question about bookkeeping or I had a question about, you know, something like that, I always knew that I could contact him. So I definitely think of him as a mentor. And (laughs) since that group that I was in where I met him was the first photographers group that I had joined. And that was kind of, I mean, my career basically started when I started going to groups with other photographers because Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of people who are really interested in helping other photographers. They're the ones who show up to the meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, it's this idea that, um, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. If the people who are newer for, to photography are, you know, have someone they can ask questions to, maybe they can, um, you know, skip some of the mistakes that photographers before them have made. Yeah. Um, but the idea being that if people who are newer to the industry are um, doing a good job, understand how things work, charging appropriately for their time, that helps everyone else as well. Um, I I noticed early on that there was kind of this idea that, or this feeling that newer photographers were kind of watering down the industry. And so I was always nervous to reach out to other photographers. But then once I did, I realized that, you know, if there isn't that openness between different levels of photographers, then you, you know, What do you do without the knowledge of knowing how much, how much to charge or how to do things like, of course, people who are newer could be having a negative effect on the industry, but they're not doing it on purpose. And Mm. if you think about it, they're actually being taken advantage of. So Mm. I've always been a part of different groups that meet and, you know, talk shop and, um, you know, as I've changed the kind of photography that I do, I've changed the kinds of groups that I've been in. Um, Currently, I am a board member um, for the San Francisco chapter of APA, which is American Photographic Artists. 
and okay. we meet monthly and we talk about different things in relation to business and there's events and we have like panelists and um, especially in COVID, there's lots of webinars um, from mm -hmm. the different chapters. It, it's a national organization. So different chapters in different cities have different um, workshops and webinars and stuff that you can tune into. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think it's, I think it's really important. There's, there's only a few people I can think of who I reached out who weren't at least receptive to me reaching out basically. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think, you know, I'm an open book when people reach out to me and it, you know, when I was newer, I thought that people wouldn't want to give me information because I might be a threat to them. Okay. But that, I mean, I didn't have the experience to back it up. I didn't have the experience to make that knowledge a threat to those people, right? Or the skill. So, yeah. you know, that knowledge helped me, but, um, you know, I, I give information freely to anyone who asks. Um, hmm. And a lot of it's just my experience and do with it what they will. Um, hmm. but you know, I've, I've been around a lot of people who have that attitude and, um, I, it's, it's the attitude that I believe in. I agree with you. Yeah. You've got to be open and caring, um, and help people. I mean, you're, you're always going to cross some people that uh, are self-motivated and always want to win and, and be that person, but then they're not winning in life. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the last things I wanted to talk to you about really is this Makers. Now, I really loved um, this body of work. It, it's so nice to see photos of other creatives in that sense. Um, do you want to tell me about this work? Sure. Um, I started this project also when I was at that transition point in my career that I was talking about earlier where I didn't feel like I was really in control of what my work looked like. Mm -hmm. And um, I was interested in people who were making things, people who were being more creative in ways that I wish that I was being more creative. Um, and I just also had this kind of interest. I've always been interested in like how things work and how people make things, but mm -hmm. there's something about like, we're all working on, you know, so many people are working on computers all day mm -hmm. and we're doing so many things and interacting with so many things that are just digital. And yeah. just thinking about the fact that there are people who spend, you know, their whole day actually making things with their hands and making something out of you know, raw materials, that's like, really cool, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I started this project. And I reached out first to someone I knew. Um, and I photographed her working. And every single time I did one, I would just say, Hey, is there anyone who you think would be interested in this? And you know, letting me come into their space for one to two hours and photograph them working. Mm -hmm. And one of my conditions was that they actually did work actually wanted to photograph them working and they could you know pick up different projects and you know to show one part of their process they didn't yeah. have to like start and complete obviously one thing because i would be there for hours or days or whatever <laughs> um but the idea being that like i actually want to see how you do your work 
and then I'm going to take pictures and then I'll stop you at interesting points for some kind of environmental portrait or something where I can, you know, if it's hard to capture like a really fast, small movement, I'll stop you so that we can really explain, um, you know, what, what you're doing visually. But the idea being kind of just like a, a behind the scenes of how people make things. And so every time I did one, I'd say, hey, do you want, do you have someone else you think would be good? And then I just went from like, oh, my friend, oh, my friend. So I just ended up going from person to person. And then eventually I was hired by Etsy to do the same thing. Um, so the first person I hired for Etsy, I did like a day in the life for her. So I photographed her working, but then I also went to her home and she made lunch and I, I took pictures of that because cooking is a big part of her life and mm. um took pictures of you know her and her studio and her dog who's always with her her dog is her companion so um you know getting different pictures of her dogs different pictures um we went to one of her stockists which is a local boutique and we went and we photographed some of the products that they stock there and to just kind of give like an all-encompassing view of you know a a day in her life kind of thing. Um, and then uh, worked with them another time on more of um, something more in line with the the series that I had done before, which is I went into her space and photographed her working um, at different stages of work and then some portraits as well. So it, you know, it ended up bringing me actual work, even though that was never the intention. And um, I think the work also appeals to people who hire me to do other things. Maybe they saw, there was one that I did that was particularly popular because it was really colorful. Um, her name is, or her business name is Jenny Lemons. Her name is Jenny, but not Jenny Lemons. And um, that one brought me uh, a lot of early commercial work with small businesses who wanted to share about their process and share some um, you know, more editorial style product photos, not, mm. not the kind of studio stuff that I do now, but mm. this project really bridged the gap between what I was doing at that time and what I'm doing now. Um, and I actually don't do this project anymore, but like mm. the work, like I said, the work still resonates with people and I have yeah. been hired a couple of times by Etsy and would be happy to work with them again. So um, <laughs> I still have the work up and I have it kind of in a separate section of my website. Well, it, make, it makes total sense. Um, I mean, you should always be proud of that sort of work, shouldn't you? So um, just because you're not doing it now doesn't mean anything, does it? It just means you, you've had that experience um, and it's something you're proud of. Yeah, I I think the one thing about it is that if I were to do it now, I would light it all differently. But it uh -huh. would look different based on my style now. And so that's why sometimes I kind of like teeter about whether it still belongs on my website, even though I still love it and I'm still proud of it. Huh. Um, but then it does resonate with people and people do look through it. And, um, you know, a lot of times when people hire me, they have a mood board and it'll have some of my work in it. And so huh. one of the reference images might be from makers the makers project, even though they're hiring me for some kind of still life thing, because there's something about the human element with the product that appealed to them 
from the Makers Project, they want to incorporate some kind of human element into the still still life photography. Okay. Um, so for now, it stays. <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Like you say, you know, I mean, we just have to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. That's what you have to do, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. um, it wasn't it only females as well. It just happened that way. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't intentional, but then I felt, I don't know, it, it felt really nice to hmm. share stories. I mean, making it as a small business is so difficult. And so, hmm. you know, I always wanted, I always gave the pictures away. Whoever, you know, was willing to give me their time and access to their, you know, their work life for hmm. me to work on the project, I was happy to share the images with them. Um, it just ended up being that I kept getting recommended from one woman to another woman to another woman. Hmm. Um, and so I thought, hey, this is kind of cool. Yeah, I and think so. I'm just went with it. So it's just like a natural um, effect. But that's a great thing, because like I was saying to you, you know, it is important that we show all parts of um, the world, um, female, male, um, different um, areas of the world as well. So I think that was really nice that you did actually just stick to females in that sense. Yeah, I mean, women's voices are underrepresented in general. So, yeah, you know, it. as I was doing more and more of them, I thought, I'll just go with this, you know. Mm. No, I, I think... I think for me, like even your um, your other work, it's the colours and and everything like that. To to me, it's still very much um, you. So f for me, it's still the same thing. Uh, it's fe it's about females, and um, yeah, I, I just love it. And I, I I still think it like complements the other side of your work though with the um, portraits. Um, it's just different. Yeah. It's more documentary, wasn't it, in that sense? Yeah, I I just, I always, when I'm photographing people, I'm definitely keeping in mind everything that I learned with journalism and also with, you know, in my earlier career when I was, you know, shooting events and stuff where it's, you know, you're not just stopping people and bringing them into the good light and telling them how to pose and stuff. You're really making the best of whatever situation you're in. And you learn so much about body language and anticipation. And, you know, there's so much stuff that I use even now that I have control hmm. because there, I mean, I don't want to lean so much into the control that I don't take advantage of whatever unique thing about the person I'm photographing. So, cool. you know, people, different people move in different ways. So when I start working with someone, even if they're a model, I'll watch how they move naturally because that'll make a better photo than if I, you know, place their yeah. body completely mm. perfectly and here's the <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, you naturally lean into that hip or, you know, there, there's so much, it's, it's hard to even explain it. Um, yeah, it is. But if you 
I think it's a missed opportunity to not watch how people move naturally and not lean into the facial expressions of whoever it is that you're shooting because that's something unique that you couldn't even bring that they are bringing. So, you know, as much as I want to create the environment for everything to come together, there's something really interesting about those little unpredictable things about just someone being a human huh. that I think brings a quality to the photos that it is per it per is perceived and it is a little bit more real than if you don't take all of that into account. Yeah, I think being real is a really good thing. I think maybe portraiture will maybe come that way. I don't know. It, it's really hard to say, but I do like it. And I'm the same as you in that sense. I love um, watching them or uh, just have a little conversation with them and see what movements they make. And then it's like, oh, that hair flick you did. Or, or the way you're just yeah. touching your ear or something. And it's like, that that works. I mean, I've got one shot. I mean, I took this four years ago, maybe. Um, probably my first film shot. Um, colour portrait um, in a, no, it's not a real studio because we don't have one, but um, in a studio environment and I still play with it in the dark room to this day. I don't think I could ever reshoot it. <laughs> it just Yeah, happens. you can't. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's so many unique things when you're photographing people. It's like infinitely, you know, everything is infinitely different and yeah. yeah trying to remake something can be really difficult too um mm. i was just doing a shoot where we were shooting like partial body so like torso and um we were trying to display product and it was like every time we liked the product it was like oh can they move their arm a little bit oh can you do you know this and it's hmm. yeah we can we can but like we'll never get we'll never get back those two things that we really liked together, hmm. you know, to a certain, like, it's so hard at hmm. a certain point you have to, you, you know, you keep working it and you keep working it but at a certain point, you're going to overwork a situation yeah. and, and nothing's going to feel good as anything that you did before that. So it, that is one of the challenges of, you know, having a human element if you think about it i mean hmm. the challenge side of it but also the other side of it is you know things can be a lot more interesting when there is a person in the photo than maybe if there wasn't so it's it's like this balance of of um you know options and opportunities and challenges hmm. yeah there's there's so much potential um, for doing portraiture differently um, and I think that's a really good start. Right, well, I think we're through the formal um, part of the interview there, Nicole. So do you want okay. to tell our, our lovely listeners where we can find you online? Sure, you can find me at NicoleMorrisonPhotography.com and I'm on Instagram at NicoleMorrisonPhoto. There we go, nice and easy. So they'll go in as um, uh, links in the show notes for you. Great. Now my final question obviously i do this pay it forward scheme um okay. is there anyone you think i should be either checking out from a photographer point of view or, you know any part of the industry 
or maybe someone that would um, come on the show as well. So it doesn't have to be um, for both, or if you think it's just someone I should follow anyway, because they've got good work. Sure, I'm a contributor to a um, sort of a nonprofit organization. We're not officially a nonprofit, um, but we're called By and For, and we provide photography services to local BIPOC-owned BIPOC small businesses. Um, and so all of the photographers in that organization, there are five of us, two co-founders and three contributors. Um, we're, we all do work that's a little bit different. So um, they're kind of the first people that I recommend when someone says, who should I check out? Because um, we're all doing different stuff and then, you know, providing photos for small businesses on a quarterly basis. Um, so definitely check out by and for and um, the other women who are uh, a part of that. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, if you could send me a link, that would be wonderful. Sure. No, that's cool. Um, so all I can say is thank you so much for spending so much time with me. Um, it's been really nice learning about your work and um, where you come from and hopefully where you're headed to. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. I always love to um, talk shop and it's nice to hear all of these different kinds of projects and ideas that you're working on. It was nice to meet you and talk with you. Thank you so much again, Nicole. Um... Thank you. You have a good night. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed um, interviewing. Please don't forget, if you want to get involved, I'm starting to put out there on social media uh, the list of guests for that week. You are welcome to submit any questions you want to ask and hopefully I'll read them out for you whether you want to do that through Instagram um, direct message you can just click if you click on the direct message bit uh, there's a button there and you can record and send that right across uh, but there's many apps you can do or email me or send me a DM on Facebook Instagram whatever that's cool with me for those of you who want to support the show please don't forget uh, iTunes reviews are always appreciated and obviously I will read them out uh, the following week for you and I tend to use them on social media so that's all very much appreciated if you'd like to help contribute towards the show then don't forget there's my coffee page where you can submit anything from £1 or upwards and I'll keep a note on there what I'm trying to achieve um, as the months and years go by. For those who want to keep coming back to the show, don't forget you can just subscribe in your friendly podcast app of choice. And there's a weekly newsletter on my website, flogger.co.uk. So that's P-H-L-O-G-G-E-R. And you'll get an automated email from me. And that tells you each week uh, what's gone up on the website. So it's the podcasts and any articles I've wrote. So yeah, thank you so much. And I'll see you again soon. Bye.